pray. Lord, thank you for this day, your, your blessings that you have poured out on us. Lord, that we would never take uh, even the littlest thing for granted. Lord, that we would, uh, in all things, give glory to you. Uh, I thank you for the classes that were had tonight. I thank you for uh, my church family here. Uh, who will come together and share in life together and share in the Word, uh, in the study of your Word in these classes. Uh, for each of the teachers that teach any of the any of the classes, whether it be the morning classes or the evening classes, I just want to say uh, I thank you to you, Lord, that you've uh, gifted them in such a way and given them such a desire and a passion to teach your Word. Um, I just I want to pray a special blessing for each and every one of them um, and the time that they invest for your glory. Um, uh, and while, I'm at, while I'm at it, I just say thank you for the preachers that you've brought here, um, such dear friends of mine, and I'm encouraged by the word that they, uh, that they each preach and the styles and the gifts and the gifting that you've gifted to each of my brothers. Uh, Lord, I thank you that not any one of us is a cookie cutter of another, but that you have called us all to one purpose and, and, and one goal. Lord, I thank you uh, for that. As we open your word tonight, I ask that your Holy Spirit uh, would move in each of our hearts, uh, that you would, Lord, seal my lips that I speak nothing of my own, but that uh, the truth of your word and the hope of your word would shine through tonight as we uh, dig into Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which uh, is a climax of this book. Um, Lord, as we dig into this truth and start digging into uh, some hard truths over the coming weeks, I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, go out ahead of time Lord, that you would be working in each and every one of our hearts, preparing the soul for, uh, for your word, and that your word would take root in us, that we would gain a greater understanding of who you are, the purpose for which you have called us to, and that you would set us out in this world, in the lives that you have placed us in, that we would, in all things, bring glory to your name, for you alone are worthy. And it's for you. Amen. I'm going to be starting in John chapter uh, 16, verse 33. And I'm just going to read the last verse of 16:33, and then all of 17. And I'm going to do my best not to do like any kind of break it down, break it down kind of thing. So in saying that, what I would like to ask each one of you is as closely as you can, if you have a Bible on hand, follow through. Uh, I'm going to be in the ESV. What are we? We're in the ASV, which follows fairly closely, uh, though maybe not exactly word for word. So if you want to follow along on the screen, do that if you don't have a Bible on hand with you. Um, so just follow as we read through this. This is going to kind of set the tone, set the understanding for some of the things that we're going to look at when we dig into Romans tonight. Chapter 16, verse 33 of John, and then we're going to push on through chapter 17 as well. 
I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and I have kept, and I have kept your word. You, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you have given me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world, that they, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me, even as you love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray again. Lord, as we have read these words of your Son as he prayed for us, and we see the truth of these words and dig into them 
a little bit tonight. I, I pray that uh, I would do justice to the truth of your word, Lord. I am but a man, um, and I am feeble, and uh, I am unworthy. And if I speak of myself, then it will be for nothing. But I ask, I plead with you that your Holy Spirit would move among your people for your name's sake, for the glory of your Son. As we dig into what could be, for me, one of the most beautiful passages of text in all of Scripture. Lord, I am humbled by it. And I am fearful, so fearful, that I would fail you in presenting the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. I, I pray, Lord, that you would move. Thank you for Christ, and thank you for the hope that we have in him. It's for his glory. It's for his glory. Amen. Turn with me now, if you would. We're just going to be covering one passage of text out of Romans tonight. So it shouldn't be overly long. But this one passage of text, what I want to say is that all that we've been looking at in Romans, from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up through chapter 8, verse 27, has been leading in some major ways to this passage of text. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to kind of step through it, if that's okay. Uh, so, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. I'm going to read it one more time. This is one of those passages of text church that deserves a couple of reading through, right? And we're going to probably next week as we get into the text after this, we're probably going to read, just start off next week just by reading this, uh, Romans eight twenty eight, just a couple of times, um, just so that it can sink in. I, I pray, my prayer is, is that the truth of this text would weigh on you more from what the Holy Spirit does than anything that I could do. Because like I say, as I stand up here and I look at this text and I think of all that could be said, volumes of books, not could be written about this text, but volumes of books have been written about this text. Right? The truth that we're going to dig into in 28, 29, and 30 in the weeks to come is a truth that is so mind-boggling Right, that if you were to ask people's opinion of it, you would see that that it is a divisive truth. Right, so I've been praying and preparing as we've been pressing through the entire book of Romans to be preparing you with truth that will now enable us as we dig through this text to understand what has happened to you as a believer. And why this is the most beautiful place to place your hope, right? Ultimately, ultimately, this is what I want us to see out of this text. I've written in my, in my notebook uh, these words, therefore encourage one another with these words. This comes from 
uh, a couple of weeks back, we were going out of Thessalonians, and it kind of ended there with this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And, and that's my, I've kind of had that just at the forefront as I've been preparing and thinking about how do we dig into this text? How do we approach this text where we do justice to the truth that we're going to find, again, we're only covering 28 tonight, but in 28, 29, and 30, right? Um, I want to go ahead and give you some time to be preparing 29 and 30. Um, if you if you don't know why, go read it. <laughs> go read online what people have to say about this text, and, and, and you'll see quickly why. So um, in my study and preparation for this, I've kind of put together, um, I just kind of wrote out, uh, it's re- it, an English teacher would probably kill me. I'm horrible with English, if y'all don't know. I'm an engineer. I don't do spelling, and I don't do English well. So if you're English teachers, I'm sorry if this sentence is run on, if I don't have enough commas, or maybe I have too much commas in it. Uh, I apologize for that up front, but what I've tried to do is I've tried to put into words, as I read this passage of text, what I want to be kind of the place that I keep coming back to. Because, like I say, I could, I could, I've, we're like 29, sermon number 29, I could preach 29 sermons on this text alone, right? So most of the time that I've spent in this is being like, Lord, where not to go, Right? We're not to go as we dig through this text. Um, so in doing that and preparing for this and kind of getting my mind around it and where to go, this is kind of the idea and the place where we're trying to push through. So I'm just going to read it to you. Um, well, actually, before I read this, I want to ask you a question. So we hit, we hit uh, John chapter uh, 16, the end of it, and 17 for a very specific purpose. And I want to ask you ahead of time, and, and this is going to be concerning what we look at in the coming weeks through these passages of text. What is the purpose of it all? What is the purpose of it all? Why did God do anything? Right? Was God compelled to create all that He created? Must He have created? Would He have in some way been incomplete had He not created you? No. He is the I am. Right? He is in need of nothing. And this is an important thing for us to understand. So if He was not compelled to create, why then did He create? For what? Oh, I heard the right thing. It came from the mouth of a preacher, so I'm going to let somebody else try. <laughs> Why did God create? Why are there words in Genesis chapter 1 that say, in the beginning? Okay, it was not because he was lonely. It was not because he needed to create. It was not because without you, he would be incomplete in himself. Those are not the answer to why we can flip to Genesis 1-1 and see in the beginning. Right? Why then did God create? And let's, not, let's let somebody other than a preacher 
answer. Why did God create? I think, I wasn't in for the service this morning. I was back in the nursery. But what I gather from hearing just Dustin mention on it, I think y'all probably heard this word thrown around a little bit this morning. Why did God create somebody? But he didn't have to. So why did he create anything? What is, if you had to have bullet point number one to answer the question why there is something rather than nothing at all, apart from God himself, why is there anything? To bring him what? Glory. Was he... Now, let's ask this question. Was he in lack of any? So, by creating, he did what? What is he working towards? The answer is right. The answer is to glorify himself. Right? You were created... To glorify God. Your purpose for existence is the glory of God. This is His story playing out. This is His tapestry being woven. And you are but a thread of it. Your life is but a thread of it. God created for His glory. Ultimately, for His glory. God created to glorify who? Himself in the person of who? The Trinity. But ultimately, what we're going to find is that God created so that he could glorify. Who does Christ, when Christ, y'all, we, we get that in John chapter 17, Christ is praying this prior to what? Prior to his death. And he's like, here it comes. And what is he saying about it? God glorify me now. God glorified himself the most at the cross. We can see the character of God more clearly because of the cross. Your songs will ring louder in eternity because of the cross. And here we are at the passage of text in all Scripture that helps us in the midst of all of this grasp to what God is doing here. Let's read it one more time. And we know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. And this is what I've written about what we're going to be digging into. His purpose is to glorify his son. By conforming the elect into the likeness of his son. We know by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit and by the revelation of the written word of God that he can, has already, and will continue to work all things together, both good as well as bad, to accomplish his purpose, which is the very definition of good. I tried in this to use much of the wording that we're going to find in this. And, and one thing that I want to say before we start digging into the text word by word is I want to say don't be afraid of words, right? I'm going to do my best to use words that the Bible uses, right? So in the weeks to come, as we step into words like predestination, here's what I want to tell you is that these words Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These words are found in this book for the very purpose of encouraging you as believers. Right? We're going to start dabbling into them in the weeks to come, and we're going to spend three entire chapters dealing with the sovereign plan of God. Three chapters digging into things like election and predestination. And why these words are in here and what they mean for us as believers. So the one thing that I want to tell you is do not be afraid of words that God has written for you to encourage you. Follow me. Are y'all with me so far? All right. So now let me get a drink of water and we'll see how much time it takes us to get through one verse. We're going to start at the end. So I'm going to read. <laughs> it's a short verse. So I'm going to read. We're going to start, stop at the end. And we're going to work our way backwards. And hopefully it makes sense as we do this. And we... Know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The first place that I want to start is the very last words of this. We need to start with his purpose. So the one thing that I want to ask you outright, whose purpose is it? Whose purpose is it? Whose purpose and plan is playing out? Is Satan's plan playing out? Are the dark powers and principalities of this world, are their plans playing out? Whose plans are playing out? Whose plans? God's plans are playing out. And this is why I say, as we dig into these kind of truths, I find it very weighty and very like, Lord, don't let me screw this whole thing up, because there's so many places that we could go, and I want to say, where should we go? 
Let's be fixed in what Paul is trying to get across as we go through this book. And he wants this to encourage you as believers. So the most encouraging thing that I can tell you as a believer is that God's plan is not, cannot, never has failed. And I know when I say that, that there's a 600-page book dealing with the but-what-ifs, right? There's probably 600, 600-page books, but we don't have time to go there tonight. So I want to steer you by looking at particular passages of text in Scripture to encourage you. I want this truth to be one that for the believer, you do not reject and then walk through this life as though Satan's got a one-up on the God of all creation. Because he does not. He does not. And I'm going to steal from, uh, from Dustin uh, class tonight. Dustin hit Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. I was like, oh, snap, we're going to have an audible tonight because it actually uses the same phrase. (laughs) So I was like, that's better than the one that I picked up. So we're going to look at a couple of different places tonight, but I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 1 real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Dustin, thank you for teaching the class, and thank you for bringing it up. God is sovereign in all things. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Don't think that as I read, when I put emphasis on words in certain ways, that I don't do that on purpose, right? So uh, whenever I'm reading that, I would like for you to pay attention to the way that I even enunciate things, right? Because it's <laughs> the emphasis he here's on him and what he's doing, right? So so let me read that again in case you wouldn't catch it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, whose purposes and whose plans are playing out his plans, his purposes. Let's flip now. And the focus, I want to push everything. When we think about these difficult areas like this, I want to push everything as much as I can back to Christ, back to the cross, because I think if we can focus in and understand the truth that is found there, then it, it will spread out to other areas of our lives, right? Here's what I would say. If someone were to come and they were to bring one of these 600 page books and they'd be like, there's a whole lot of stuff that you didn't preach about in that sermon that there's questions people got. And what I'm going to say first is if I can answer the most difficult of questions, would you at least then grant me that it would be true that if the most difficult question could be answered, then any of the other subsequent lesser questions could then be answered? Would you all agree that that would at least be feasible? And then I would say, well, I'm limited. I can't read a 1,600-page books on one particular question. I don't have that much life to live, right? So I want to go after the most difficult one. And I would say the most difficult question to answer is in the cross. 
finding its answer, ultimately. So that's where we're going to go. Now, if you would flip with me. So again, the one particular kind of dig in that we're looking at here is his purpose. At the end of chapter 20, or at the end of chapter 8, verse 28, his purpose. Whose purpose? His purpose, who's the his? This is God that we're speaking of. Here, flip with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. I'll give you a couple of seconds to get there. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter here, having been given the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon these men at Pentecost, and Peter now preaches um, his first sermon of the day at Pentecost. And in the midst of this sermon, we find a very particular truth that the Holy Spirit has empowered him to say and has been recorded here for us in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, and foreknowledge of God. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read that again. Right? This Jesus, verse 23, this Jesus, whom was shown in power to be who he was by God, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So we're here looking at the cross. And I want us to consider the evil that happened at the cross. Could we all agree that the worst of innocence being raped was at the cross? Okay, because here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to tell you. And this is why I say this is the worst, right? So we would look at things like children being beaten or abused. And we would say what about these kind of things? That they're evil. That they're evil. How many children grow up to be perfect and spotless? Who here today has grown up to be perfect and spotless? None. None. This man, 33 years old, as innocent as a newborn baby, even more so because he does not have original sin. He in all ways tested and tried as we are tested and tried. And what happened? Did he fail in one place? No. The most innocent of children, given enough time, will sin because they are in the flesh as their father Adam ultimately is in the flesh. 
Christ, a grown man. Men, men, follow with me here. I know your plot, right? I know what you struggle with in life. 30, he's my age. He's my age. I know what he's dealing with. He fails in no way. Sins in no way. Not one stray glance from this man. Yet the cross was his from eternity. Do we get that? Do we understand that? Now I'm going to tell you, you will not ever understand the depths of that. But in eternity, you will have time to explore that. And what will happen is day after day after day, the glory of God will compound in the hearts of those that He is redeemed by the blood of the only spotless Lamb. And the end of this is what? The glory of the only one deserving of glory. This is His purpose. This is His purpose. For eternity, Christ will be glorified. And Christ will in turn glorify the Father. For eternity, the purpose will not fail. And here's what we find in the midst of this sermon. Whose plan was the cross? Whose plan was it? The, so, we'll agree that this is the most evil that has ever been perpetrated. The most evil and darkest of days that has ever been perpetrated. And whose plan was it from before in the beginning? For what ultimate purpose? God's glory. The cross is for His glory. And, and could we, would we say that for God to get more glory from us is a good thing? Is that good? For God to be glorified? Believers, if you say no to that, just follow, follow with me here. If I say, is it good for God to get glory? And you're like, hmm. Let me see what Shane says about that. <laughs> right? Like, like, is Shane going to say yes? Like, you know, like, well, how's the preacher going to... If you have to stop and think, hold up a second. If I ask you the question, is it good for God to get glory? What will you say? Yes. yes. Will God get glory? In the cross, has God gotten glory? Do you, as a believer, give Him the glory that He is due for what He's done on the cross? I, I think we probably have something that we need to work on there. Because you know what the problem is that when we start talking about things like this, when we start digging into election, when we start digging into predestination, when we start, we start questioning like that the character of who God is. Do we not? 
Is that not the problem? Is that not the reason that this idea so divides us? Is because we don't know who we are apart from Him. You don't, you, don't, you don't know that. See, here's what happens. When I read chapter 8, verse 28 here, and it says, And we know that those who love God, you don't stop and question that. Right? You don't stop and question that. When I say, And we know that for those who love God. You don't question that. And why do I say that? Why do I say that? Landon, why in the world do you say that we don't question the love of God part? Because you think that you just would. Don't you? You think that it's in you. This is why we went back. This is why we started from the beginning, friends, so that we could dig into the problem of sin. And what does God's Word say about you? Does it say that you are those who love God? Is that what He says about you? Before Christ, were you those who love God? Who were you? This is what Scripture says about who we were. Chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You. So when we go to Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, and we say, and we know that for those who love God, we will fixate on the latter part of that that says, for those who are called. And we'll say, whoa, what does it mean to be called? Who's called? Does God call everybody? Does God call just some? What does it mean to be predestined? And you fail to see that had God not reached down for you, you would be in chapter 3. Still, to this day, never seeking God. Never seeking God. You think too highly of yourselves. You think that you are something that you are not. So that you have more of a problem of God calling for His purposes than you do struggling with the fact that you could not love God apart from God sending His Son to rescue you and He did it in the most brutal and bloody of ways. And that, we'll say, that was Him. He planned that whole thing. Because there's something special about me. Man, and I love y'all. I do. And when I say this, I'm like, somebody's going to take it the wrong way. But you're not special. (laughs) (laughs) I know we live in a world where, like, you're like, I hope he doesn't tell his kids that. Because his kids are going to have a complex not thinking that they're special. (laughs) Here's what I want us to get. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. Your value comes from him. You were created by Him in the image of Him for the purpose of Him in the glorifying of His Son. And if that doesn't sound like fun to you, then you may very well be lost. 
If that doesn't sound like how you want to spend eternity, friends, hell is locked from the inside. There will be not one person in hell that wants to be in heaven. And when I say that, y'all are like, hold on. Oh, snap, there was the heretical statement. When he listens to that on YouTube, he's going to be like, yep, that, don't post that one. Here's what I want to, I want to get at the truth of what I'm telling you, is that there will not be a single person in hell who wants to be in heaven. Right? Now, I'm not saying that there will be a single per, won't be a single person in hell that doesn't want to be in suffering or in torment. I'm not telling you that there won't be somebody like, man, I wish there was some water here. My tongue is so parched. But they will not be saying, I want to be with God. They won't. Not a single person in hell will desire God. Do you think that when a person dies, they are automatically changed into some other kind of thing? That while they're in heaven, or while they're in hell, they won't be screaming out the vilest of things to their Creator. Do you think that Romans chapter 3, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, do you think that that ends at the grave for the lost? No. It does not. There will not be a single person in hell who wants to be in heaven because God is there. And they do not desire God. They do not seek after God. Do you know that? I'm not saying they're going to be pleasantly surprised when they get there, right? They're not going to want what you as a believer should be wanting and longing for. They do not. They cannot. Sin has so corrupted. And I don't think that we get that. I think that when I say that there's not going to be someone in hell that wants to be in heaven, that y'all are like, no, that can't be true. I want you to think about that. Why is there hell? Because there are those who will eternally hate God. Eternally hate Him. But you do not, because God rescued you. Do you understand that? Do you get that? That His purposes are being played out. Even in the cross, His, purp his purposes are playing out. So, verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to Whose purpose? His purpose. Let's back up. Those who are called. I want to stop here for enough time to say, don't worry about that one. We're going to cover that one next week. Right? If you love God, you're called. Right? There's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of to do about, well, how do I know if I'm called? And here's, here, here's the most practical thing that I can tell you is that if someone comes to me and they're like, Landon, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I, and especially you start dealing with being called, being the elect. Like, how do I know that I'm elect? Here's the answer that I will give. Do you love God? 
Do you love God? Are you those who love God? Because those who love God are those who are called. Do you fo- this group is one and the same. Right? So this is just the same way of him referring to the same people. Church, and I speak to the church, right? God's church, those who when we get there and I see you, we'll be like, yep, we're the church. We love God. I don't know that everyone that's in the church here is part of the church there. But if you love God, something's happened to you. This is why if you're look, do you do stuff for God? That's not the question. That's not the question. Do you work for God? That's not the question. Right? Because there's a lot of things that I can do that might show you what you might think would be an affection for God. And the love of God not be in me, not even once. So this is where we need to search ourselves. Not what other people say of us, right? Not what the things we do say of us, but do you love God? If you love God, if you truly love God, then you are the church. Because you could not love God had He not rescued you from your hatred of Him. This is why we spent so much time on the problem of sin, because the problem of sin is an eternal problem. An eternal problem. Sin does not stop for the lost at the grave. They may bow their knee, but they will hate the one who they bow before. You, on the other hand, love him. Church, you love him. And you should marvel at that. The miracle of miracles is that you love God. You love God. You should rejoice in that if it is true of you. Because the only reason that you can love God is because he loved you. He loved you. And we... Know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You, if you love God, have been called by God. You are His. Next week we're going to get into an amazing truth that He knew you. And I want us then to dig into just how personal what God is doing has become for us who once hated him, but now we can be called the ones who love God and we know something. Here's here's what's going on in this text. Last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do for us who are weak? What does the Holy Spirit do? He intercedes for us. So here we are in the middle of chapter 8, right? We've been through justification. We've been digging into sanctification. We've been given a glimpse and a hope for the glorification that is to come. And he's telling us, as believers, how to press on. And he does this in two ways. He tells you 
that when you're weak, He's strong. When you're weak and you know not what to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf. And He tells us that we know. We know because we can see in the cross. And this is why I push back to the cross. Because you may, there's lots of things that we deal with in our lives. And we may never see how those things work together for good. But we know that they will. Because we know the one who raises the dead to life. So we look to the cross. The most evil of sins perpetrated there. And God's word telling us that it was by no accident. But it was by his plan. The cross was his plan to rescue you so that he could get glory. So that we look at the cross and we see that from the cross the greatest of goods has come. You love him because of the cross. You will praise him because of the cross. The worst day in history is also the greatest day in history because it wasn't by accident it didn't slip up on him right do you man sometimes we look at Jesus and and we see him I want to be honest like we see him as some like hippie like you know like he'd be in his skinny jeans and I don't know man if y'all got skinny jeans I'm not against skinny jeans right <laughs> I got nothing against skinny jeans. <laughs> right? We we got like he's just like <laughs> does I love you, Dustin. Dustin's got his hipster glasses on. <laughs> love the hipster glasses. Love the hipster glasses. Right? We've got this picture of Jesus, right? And in our minds, Jesus is somehow impotent many times. Like like he's powerless. But what I want us to see at the cross is the mastermind at work. The master architect of all creation. <laughs> that Satan plays part in his game. Right? Do you get this? That Satan's not somehow just on the loose. We see this in Scripture. Go look at Job, man. Go look throughout Scripture. There's so many places, and we could spend hours and hours and hours. I'm reminded of Joseph and Joseph's brothers selling him into, oh, man, and it's just whole life's a world. And at the end of Genesis, you know what he has to say about it? You intended evil, but God intended good. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When you're falsely accused of coming at somebody's wife, when you're thrown in prison, those things are not good things. Right? Those are not good things. Let's be real with that. Rape, not a good thing. Beating children, absolutely not a good thing. But what does he say about his life there when his brothers come back? Like, oh, snap, man, this is going to be bad. What does he say? You intended it for bad. God. Intended for good. His brothers played right into the plan of God, even though their plans were evil. God was working through it all for good. 
So we know, church, this is what I'm, this is what I'm telling us. The Holy Spirit helps us when we're pressed down and when we're weak. But we know something true that we've placed our hope in in the cross. And it is that. For those who love God, what does the scripture say? All things work together for good. All things work together. And this we know. This we have the testimony of many men and women who have lived before us. Many accounts of lives written down throughout the scriptures. And the centerpiece of it all is the cross. So here's what I want to say. Because I want all of this to come back to this point. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want you to know these things to be true. Right? I don't want you to just think it to be true. Right? I want you to know it to be true. The Holy Spirit, He helps us in our weakness. And in the midst of these things, in the midst of the dark days of our lives, the Holy Spirit can, will, has already confirmed these truths to us as believers. We know these things to be true. I know it to be true. I know it. I know that He works all things together. The testimony of my life, and, and I say this knowing that tomorrow I may lose everything, right? You find me the day after that. You find me at the funeral, right? I'm going to say this to you now that I know it to be true. I know that he works all things together. Because I, wretched man that I am, love him. And I can't figure, apart from his work in me, how that could be true. Can you tonight say that you love him truly? Do you know that he is working all things together? know it because it is true let's pray Lord I thank you for who you are I thank you for the work that you have done and that you are continuing to do in us Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts uh, move in our minds uh, that you would stir us Lord that the truth that your plans cannot fail will not fail have never failed that that these truths would encourage us. Because sometimes, i got to be honest, Lord, sometimes, sometimes in those valleys we question. Lord, if there are any of my brothers or sisters here tonight who are in a valley, I pray that your Holy Spirit would Strengthen them. And I pray that you would reveal to them that you are in fact working in all things. Lord, let us constantly, constantly be reminded of the cross. Let us constantly be reminded of the Lamb who was slain, who we will give glory to today 
tomorrow and every day that comes after that. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here tonight who does not love you, that you would show that to them. Lord, because I get that this is the faithful crew. Um, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move. Lord, that you would reveal our hearts to us. That you would lead us to repentance. Lead us into a life of reliance on the Lamb who was slain. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for Christ. Lord, I pray that you would use me to be an encourager for your church. It is for your glory. It is for your glory. It is for your glory. Amen.